Hello, everybody. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, please find a chair. Uh, help yourself to refreshments. And we are anxious to have the, this program uh, begin with the Admiral. I, I first met Admiral DePola, oh gosh, it was probably 15 years ago. Yeah. And I was, uh, I was the d d Deputy Secretary of DOD, and he was a National Security Advisor, and I was above my station to ask to meet with him, but he treated me so graciously. And I've always noticed that in him, is that he's always been a man that's let the substance of a matter carry the conversation. And it's, I think, what propelled him to the very top in every, uh, every professional opportunity he's had. And of course, this is, a, this is a challenge. We were just talking. I asked him, did he enjoy the NATO job? And he said, oh, it was a lot simpler than this one. <laughs> and I think I can understand that. He's facing daunting uh, challenges. And of course, uh, I've always marveled that somehow the good Lord gives us the right leaders at the right time. And I think that's certainly what we have now with the Admiral. So, uh, Heather, you're going to run this. I just wanted to welcome all of you. Thank you for coming, and thank you. Thank I'm, you. I'm delighded to have you here. Heather, why don't you start this for real? Thank you, Dr. Hambry. Well, welcome, everyone. I was telling the minister that I, he has a pretty big fan club, and a lot of people in the audience today I know are the minister's uh, great fans. Uh, again, thank you, Dr. Hamry. My name is Heather Conley. I'm Senior Fellow and Director of the Europe Program here at CSIS. And needless to say, we are absolutely delighted to have Admiral Giampaolo Di Pali, Italian Minister of Defense, with us today. Uh, Admiral, when one looks at your distinguished career, it, it almost becomes clear that the Admiral was intimately involved, if not in most, all of NATO's major milestones for the past two decades. Uh, just last November, November 18th of last year, the Admiral was named Minister of Defense, and prior to his appointment, the so-called easy job, right, uh, is he served as chairman of the NATO Military Committee from 2008 to 2011. Prior to that, in 2004, Admiral DiPaolo served as the Chief of Defense of the Italian Armed Forces, and he was closely involved in NATO, EU, and coalition operations in Afghanistan, Iraq, the Balkans, and in the, in the Mediterranean. In 2001, he was appointed Secretary General of Defense and National Armaments Director with national responsibilities for some of NATO's most important pooling and sharing initiatives. So in many ways, your resume is the Chicago Summit agenda, Afghanistan, smart defense capabilities, and partnerships. So therefore, we are extremely privileged to have you with us this afternoon to help us not only understand uh, the the upcoming NATO summit in Chicago. But I think, as Dr. Hamry mentioned, we really want to hear how you are uh, dealing with, and from a leadership perspective, Italian defense plans, priorities, particularly important Italian peacekeeping missions, whether that's in Kosovo, in Lebanon. Maybe we should talk about future operations, should that be in Syria or elsewhere. I cannot think of a person better placed to help us understand the dynamics of European defense, as well as the dynamics within NATO. Please join me and welcome the minister. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Heather. Thank you very much, Dr. Amri. Thank you to all of you being here. Take your time to, to stay together for this uh, hour or so so that we can uh, discuss together some issues. And I really want to leave to you the time for posing question if so wish so that uh, we have an interchange which probably is more lively than listening at me i do see some dear friends which uh, always write me provoking uh, 
piece of paper, and uh, I'm really the topic of this discussion is the the way to Chicago. But then uh, uh, I think this is uh, the main issue. In the end, what is going on here from here to Chicago? First of all. In Chicago, who will be there? We don't know, by the French side, <laughs> which will be an interesting, uh, an interesting proposition. Uh, the summit will take place in the hometown of your president, which uh, some months away from the election, which is another, <laughs> I think, stimulating thought. So the Chicago summit is a, is, will be a moment, uh, must be a positive moment, but it's also a moment really of challenging, honestly, I don't know what will come out of Chicago. Uh, apart, I'm sure Afghanistan, yes. Afghanistan would be prominently the issue of Chicago summit. And I'm reasonably confident that uh, uh, there will be a largely shared view of what uh, needs to be done in Afghanistan and how to, to deliver uh, also in the post-2014. But the other topic, which fundamentally is to do how to tackle the issue of uh, collective or defense capability or security capability within a fiscal austerity era. That's, I think, will be, I would like to see an initial discussion at political level, because unless we get some top-down direction, top-down direction will not be only bottom-up exercise uh, that will uh, drive us out of this difficult time. Okay, start from Afghanistan. Well, I think the strategy is quite uh, well designed. That we will have a, a transition leading to 2014, but what does this matter is will be the post-2014 issue. That's where I think will be the core of the discussion in Chicago. And uh, I know that uh, there is a lot of debate in this country how eventually the post-2014 will look like. I think that uh, what is important is not to repeat the mistake that has been done by others who left uh, the Afghanistan just leaving behind uh, whatever was left there. We need to invest, continue to invest in the Afghan security forces. I think this is the best strategy we have. Uh, hopefully it will be also a successful strategy. We need to invest in the Afghan security forces because the sense of the overall idea of the transition is them replacing us with our systems, them in the front line, and they will have to be fully in the front line after also 2014. So the post of mission will, will have to be a mission in which, yes, will continue to be a presence, a presence to assist, to support them, but also a presence which will uh, invest in uh, governance, will invest in economic, economic development, the transformation decade after the transition period, and also uh, in investment in the African security forces, financial support to African security forces. This is an issue that cannot be cannot be put aside. Is uh, when the the Soviet left Afghanistan, the Afghan army was not that bad. But then eventually, in a couple of years' time, they just went uh, disappear because they had that no support. So this is. I think it's a, it's a great lesson learned from the past that we don't have to repeat. Therefore, I, I, I'm, I hope and I'm reasonably confident there will be a collective understanding and Chicago that in the post of environment there will be an international presence. NATO will have a, 
a part in these international operators, but the international operators will not only be in terms of physical presence of military people assisting, mentoring, and uh, supporting, but also in the in the in the in the field of financial assistance to Afghan security forces. That is the the future. That is fundamentally security-wise. I, I would dare to say the, the the strategy, the only strategy we have, and we have to invest on them, and then. This will give us a chance and will give the Afghan people a chance not to go back to uh, the situation that was there in the, in the, in the, in the late 90s. So th and I think this strategy, there is largely uh, a consensus on that. So uh, Chicago will be the defining moment, but I think I see building this. Certainly I Italy is part of this. We are committed to be there. We are committed to stay also in the post-ISAF uh, environment, and we are committed also to provide support along the line that I said. Uh, now, the type, size, and what we will be our commitment we will be seen at the right moment when the condition will be more finalized, when will be more clear what the post-ISAF will look like. But certainly, we are committed to this. Italy has a large presence in Afghanistan, a very large presence uh, looking to our Forces at what situation we are, I think, the fourth largest contributor. Um, we have over 4,200 men over there. And by the way, uh, we are now engaged uh, in a delicate transition phase in the, in the southeastern part of, of the western region. Because when you say the west, when you think of Italy, you think Iraq. <laughs> Actually, Iraq is no longer the, the focus of our main engagement. Iraq is has already transitioned in stage two. So now the focus of our presence is really in the most delicate area, which are in the north, in Balamurgab, Baghdad province, and in the southeast of the western region, which means Bakwa, Balabaluk, Gulistan, Delaram, area which are from uh, from threat point of view, challenge point of view, very much belong to contiguous and actually very similar to the southwestern region, which is Elmand. I remind you, Elmand is bordering Balabaluk, Guristan, Bakwa, Farah. That's, wh that's where the challenge are. And as a matter of fact, the action which took place, the pressure which was applied in Elmand, somehow moved some of the nice guy to the to the northwest, that's been where the Italian are, and we are. So we are really focusing on that. And therefore, I think uh, it should be recognized that our effort is really an effort in a, in an area of serious challenge and threat, and not just thinking of Iraq as a, a nice place. But beside Afghanistan, the issue is that in the post-2014, if we look to the post-2014 environment, then the real thinking needs to be done. I know that there are some friends here that have done a lot of thinking what NATO should not, not do. But in the post-2014, look at this. We will be for the first time, I suppose, in a post-cold era, and we'll be in a post-operation area. For the first time in 2015, we will be, unless something emerges, because they never say never, we'll be short of a major engagement. We are coming out of from more than a decade of a continuous engagement for operation uh, by NATO in outer area mission, able engage, and that operational drive has been shaped, has been shaping the alliance for the next 50, for the last 15 years. So the alliance has been focused on operation, 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 mostly Afghanistan, but also then became Libya with the OOP, Operational uh, Unified Protector, 
and now uh, somehow in the, in the first January 2015, we wake up and we discover we are orphan of operation. We are even orphan, awfully orphan, I saw, of the, the postcode. So what we do? So that is really the thinking we need to be done. And that an area which I would like uh, also to listen from you, maybe some provocation, because I know there is some easy, some easy uh, discussion with uh, some easy choice. Let's go back to the basic. What does it mean? Let's go back to it. Ah, let's go back to the to the Article Five issue. So we are Article Five. That's it. But now, what really Article Five mean? I'm not argue that Article Five for the defense of our, of our nation is 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 the cornerstone of the alliance. But what does it mean if we go back to sort of Article Five posture, which somehow means that. Uh, in Europe, what does it mean Article 5 in Europe? De facto would mean that we select one, one nation over there as, as being our enemy nation. And that's, I don't think, would be a great result. That would mean after 20 years, at the end of post, uh, of, 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 uh, of, after 20 years of the fall of Berlin Wall, we go back to a situation in which we pick up a country and say, you are our enemy, and we get in a weight uh, as somebody defined, waiting, waiting to be attacked posture, I think would be a really big failure because after 20 years we go back to something that we wanted to spell out and to change. So that means that we need to really to, to look at what the strategic concept in Lisbon said, and it is true. The strategic concept says that Article 5, therefore, the defense is a cornerstone of the line. Yes, but it's much more than that. If we really to want to be honest with ourselves, the strategic concept, which was crafted in Lisbon, in the end, is not the Article 5, the innovative part of it. What was the innovative part of it was the global, the alliance as a global, as a partner, as an alliance which has responsibility much wider than the, uh, just the Euro-Atlantic theater, which uh, whose responsibility go beyond, an alliance which is responsive to the security challenge in the new global security environment, therefore, which have uh, uh, somehow global uh, responsibility, which does not mean, whenever you say you are a global responsibility, does not mean that you will go everywhere in the world because that you are but mean that you might go everywhere in the world if you, if you so decide, if you so think that that challenge is a challenge which affects you. So the real innovative part of the strategic concept in my mind was that consideration that we have a new security environment which is a globalized security environment, therefore we need to be an alliance which is responsive to this globalized security environment, which is also characterized by the new kind of a threat and challenges and not necessarily an invasion by somebody that maybe will never happen. So therefore, I think under the, the easy choice, let's go back to the basic, somehow retrenching, retrenching in the ante-Berlin Wall fall would be a, a wrong choice. Would really mean an easy escape out from the reality of much wider security environment. And, we, and therefore, I think it would be more appropriate for NATO to take stock of the fact that we are in a global secu security environment with the global challenges and we have to be able to respond to them and to help the international, to, to be to remain and to be a prominent, a relevant security player in this security environment, which does not mean a global cop or whatever, but mean to be a relevant security player in this globalized security environment. And that is much more a challenging uh, a response. First of all, to build consensus along the, uh, uh, 
around this idea and second also mean to to be challenged our defense planning choices that we've done in the past to get rid of certain old idea to bet to get rid of some legacy planning uh, uh, idea to invest in the new capacity and doing that in a fiscal austerity environment is more challenging because they need really the real courage the real courage to prioritize the right uh, the right capacity to invest in this capacity and to do in a smart way because when you have to so prioritize and do it and then make an investment the right way this is what now come to be known as smart defense. Smart defense cannot be a strategy. Smart defense is a tool. It's a tool by which you want in a fiscal environment, and also if we are not a, a fiscal uh, austere environment, it would be good because nobody wants to be a stupid uh, defense, I suppose. So therefore, but certainly even more in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a fiscal austerity environment, you want to be to try to be even smarter. I would prefer then to define smarter defense, not smarter, smarter defense, by which you come together how to smartly achieve a certain capability which you will have properly and correctly prioritized. And because we need to have the, the bravery and the courage, that's why I say we need the top-down approach. We need to have the bravery and the courage to get rid of the legacy capacity of the legacy choice we've done in the past and focus on the new capacity. And that's what I think I would like in in Chicago to, to start a discussion on this at political level. You need really political vision, really top-down approach on this. cannot just be some nice low-hanging uh, project by which uh, through the bottom-up approach, a few nations come together and make nice things. When, when I think to the list of, uh, of, uh, of projects which are in the so-called Smart Defense Initiative, many of them are nice. I don't, I don't argue, even useful, I don't argue, but are not certainly the step changes that will get us out of this. And then we go to the fundamental issue of European and the European what the European want to do, because fundamentally, also on this, we need to be honest with ourselves. Smarter defense means European get smarter, because we in the United States, you in the United States, you are already smart enough. Probably somebody would uh, would argue, but reasonably speaking, you are smart enough. It's the European that get to get smart. That's what smart defense is all about. And here come to the point of what European want to do. I think that a greater European integration, a greater European coming together in a secure defense policy would be very much instrumental to a greater, uh, to a benefit for the alliance. I, I, my, my point is that uh, under the European idea is more likely among European countries to, to master together resources than under any other uh, banner or pavilion, which does not mean more Europe versus more NATO, I mean more Europe for more NATO. If we want to have a stronger NATO, we need to have, I think, more European engagement. The best way to have more European engagement is to, to try to use the European idea to force this. So I don't see at all, on the contrary, any contradiction on a, a greater European integration and NATO. Actually, would be exactly what I think uh, a, a smarter way to achieve what uh, your former Secretary of Defense, Bob Gates, said in his uh, farewell <laughs> speech in, to Europe when he said, 
European, you better wake up. Otherwise, one day you will discover that uh, we are no longer there. And so therefore, I think we need European to come together with a, a greater sense of building together our capacity, which will be a fundamental way to be a better partner for the U.S. and therefore a better member of this alliance because we, we speak a lot of burden sharing, but burden sharing fundamentally is for the European to get a, a greater part of this sharing. And I contend that probably the easier way to do it in Europe among Europeans is to build up on this European idea of a greater European integration. So these are the issues which I think I would like to see uh, coming out of, uh, of Chicago in initial reflection. Afghanistan definitely, Afghanistan definitely will be will be the central piece of Chicago. But start to look at how to look what NATO should be in the post-2014, in the post-Afghanistan uh, heavy engagement. That, I think, is an, is an area which deserves some serious discussion among our leaders. And uh, I hope that this will happen. Thank you very much. Mr. Minister, thank you so much. There were some very good quotable quotes in that in those remarks. Thank you so much. Uh, and I don't think you have anything to fear. Knowing this audience, you're going to get some very provocative questions. Uh, now it's time to bring you into the discussion. Um, and uh, again, just to remind you, this is an on-the-record conversation. And uh, we have a few microphones. If you could wait, and we'll give you those microphones. And if you identify yourself and your affiliation, that would be great. I'm going to take the moderator's prerogative for just a moment. And, and ask a few questions uh, to the minister, and then uh, we'll welcome you to the discussion. I, I have so many questions. I have a three-parter. Um, could you give us your reflections on uh, NATO's role in Libya, Operation Unified Protector, as well as the Italian perspective? Um, so much of that operation was a success. So much of it uh, raised very critical issues for NATO and, and in the capabilities, if you could comment on that. Uh, recently, uh, there was a visit to Moscow where you engaged with the Russians on missile defense. I'd love to hear those, about those conversations, if you could share that with us, and your own perspective about NATO uh, continuing to work on the European phased adaptive approach uh, and that going forward. And then finally, you met with Secretary uh, Panetta this morning. Uh, talk to us about the U.S.-Italian defense relationship in light of the pivot, in light of uh, America's uh, focus on the Asia-Pacific region. What do you think that means for Europe, for Italy, uh, and for that future of NATO post-Afghanistan? Uh, easy, easy. easy question, and I will. Uh, it's okay. Um, Libya. I think Libya was, from one side, was uh, a successful operation. I'm not. I'm not uh, talking of the happy ending of what in the end uh, happened in Libya with the Gaddafi out in any sense, including physically out, uh, out of this world. I mean, <laughs> what I, I mean that in the end the alliance was able to master together rapidly to build a political consensus, which was not so easy at the beginning. Uh, for one, even my country at the beginning is well known that had, uh, because of its relation with, uh, with Libya, had a, had a political problem. But in the end, we overcome that political problem. And in a very short period of time, we decided 
the alliance as a whole decided to get engaged. We did the fast planning. We moved all the resources we, we got, and we moved into it. And so, and even we adopted, because let's be also here, uh, speaking spade to spade, uh, because of the U.S. decision to lead him from behind, not to be physically in the prominent role, although they were prominent in, in many other sense, the, even we, we were able to adopt an ad hoc command structure which was flexible enough but fit to the purpose. So this flexibility of the line, this flexibility of the military system of the line, even if not perfectly shaped for that, uh, is a plus. And that must be an example. Because when we talk about command structure, yes, we have to make it leaner, we have to be flexible, we have to be better, but in the end we have to, to know that the command structure needs to be adapted from any crisis because each crisis will be different from each other. Each one will request a specific command arrangement. So don't be fixated. That is the command structure. That must be. If you make it flexible enough, and that was the purpose of the command structure review, then you will adapt to any situation, and that's what will be done. That is a plus. The, the fact that in the end, although with the fundamental uh, support and, and uh, enabler by the United States, many of the European in the end provide also a lot of capability because this is true that there were some capacity we know that were uh, fundamentally provided by the US. But in the end, there was some strong European engagement in that, including in a, in a, in a, with, uh, with significant capability put into place. And therefore, I think this was a show up that when the European want to do it, they can do it. Uh, and that was significant. The weakness was that there are, in fundamentally, there were certain capability, fundamentally has to do with command and control, with joint intelligence surveillance reconnaissance system, and the famous air-to-air refueling, which were by and large provided by, by the U.S., and also the fact that certain, the target air capacity, uh, NATO command structure, NATO air command structure, showed to be short of it actually lacking, if we want to be honest with ourselves. And this has prompted now a, a tremendous effort to try to fill this, uh, this, uh, this lack also from the European side that tomorrow in another situation, the European can be a more, a more meaningful partner. It's not irrelevant that Europeans are launching the air-to-air -air initiative in which they will try to, to have a greater capacity in this. We, many European, Italy for sure is, is, is heavily investing in a joint intelligence surveillance recognition system. So we are focusing ourselves on this new capacity. Uh, as, the, as for the issue of, uh, of, of ballistic missile defense, I think that in the sense of the discussion that I had with the Russian, Italy had with the Russian. I think ballistic missile defense is something we need to go forward, and the Chicago will will declare initial uh, interim capacity, capability for the lines. So the Russians have to understand they will not be in a position to spoil this, because we, the line, including Italy, we are fully committed to this. And that was the message I delivered to the to the Russian. We are we believe we have the right and the duty to protect our people and territory from a threat that we perceive as being as serious and potentially even more serious. Therefore, we have the right and the duty to do that. And the U.S. phase, European phase approach is a response that we have agreed being the right response for us, taking into account the whole situation. But that does not mean that we want to, uh, to confront Russia on that. Actually, the Russians should understand seriously 
that they have an opportunity uh, engaging with, with the NATO on this to not only to step up our relationship, but also to move this relationship to really a strategic level. That would change, could really become a game changer in the security environment in Europe. So uh, my message to them was, we are serious, you, do, you will not derail us, but you can get engaged with us. And I think it is in your interest as in ours to get engaged. So it was a strong message of trying to push them to understand that they better get engaged. And I hope that in time, with patience, we don't have to neither to provoke them, neither to be provoked from them. I think they can come along and understand that it is in our both interest to do that. As for the relation between Italy and and the United States, you know that they are very good. Honestly, they are very good. Not only the, the, sec the new Secretary of Defense is, a, is an Italian, by the way. He keeps saying this, so it's not me. <laughs> he keeps saying he's an Italian. It's a help. And uh, he, uh, he's Calabrese, which is even a special kind of Italian. Uh, well, we say the Calabrese are tough. And you know in Italy we say they are tough. <laughs> uh, and they are smart, by the way. Uh, smart and tough, which is uh, the best you can find. But also because I think uh, uh, you know that uh, uh, the Americans are reshaping they, their, their presence, their presence in, uh, in Europe. But if you look uh, to the reshaping of their presence, Italy remains a, a center of gravity for them. Actually, now with Sigonella will be the new, with a new reality, Sigonella becoming the hub for the joint intelligence surveillance reconnaissance capacity for the US, for Italy, and for the alliance. I think this is a very significant. Uh, in Vicenza, you know that the presence will be increased. So overall, if you look to the presence of US and Italy, uh, it's increasing, which means uh, you perceive Italy as a, as a strong platform for that, and also uh, Italy as an alliance who deliver. And this is true. Is this true? Italy is an ally who deliver. But Italy is also an ally not only who deliver, but is an ally who want to be listened and want to be engaged. Because delivering and engaging is the same, the two faces of the same coin. You cannot expect delivery without engagement. And therefore, that is a message I want to be clearly understood in the United States. As for the, the last part of the question, uh, what about uh, Italy reform? Well, Italy is engaged in a, in a, in a program of restructuring because we are in a fiscal austerity climate. We, can, we will not have more resources uh, for defense. We are even lucky if we, we will not get less of what we already has been got. So therefore, because we believe we need to be fully consistent with our, uh, with our alliance, we need to be fully consistent with what we say in NATO and in Europe, which is fundamentally to have ability to use our forces, to be fully interoperable with our allies, to be able to use them, and to be able to have the right capacity. Then we have to shift money for, from the the dimension of the personnel, which by far are getting too much money in so that we can, the money that we save from restructuring our quantity, from restructuring our quantity to invest this money in our uh, future, in the capacity, in our operational forces, in the, in the, the new system, in the new uh, 
uh, enabler. That's where we want to invest. That's where we are already investing. By the way, I, I would uh, remind you that in Libya, we have engaged air superiority, air to ground, uh, cruise missile, geyser uh, capacity, air to air, and uh, guided munition. And by, and by the way, we have also provided the core of the maritime uh, surveillance. So we have been heavily engaged beside beside hosting in Italy, uh, playing from not only from our allies, but also from from our country, and in a smoothless and seamless uh, uh, environment. So therefore, I think we have, we want to continue to be an ally, an ally who can have usable forces which can work side by side with our allies. And that is also the response to what you said, how we see the pivoting. Very honestly, I think the pivoting uh, toward uh, Asia, uh, looking from a Western perspective, makes sense. But this does not mean that pivoting in, in Asia means less uh, interest uh, for the, the European alliance, for the alliance. Actually, it's an encouragement to the European side of the alliance to do more seriously their part of the job. So I see consistency, and I, for what is myself is concerned, I'm trying to shape the Italian defense structure in a way that uh, will be able to be a, a usable and interoperable partner with, uh, within the alliance within the European Union. Hi, thanks very much. Great talk. Vago Maradian from Defense News. Sir, when you mentioned old ideas, old approaches, old platforms, what are some of the systems, capabilities, approaches, and ideas that have to be swept aside to get to a smarter European defense future? Well, fundamentally, I think we have to swept aside the idea that we have, uh, we have still fundamentally, as in Europe, there is still a lot of a static posture oriented toward defending from an invasion, from an attack. I don't think this is a realistic uh, assumption. I think this is not really what uh, uh, we needed, because in the end, if something happened, even in an Article 5 environment, which is not likely, but you could always say it, something would happen, in the end it would be the ability to move forces to the, to the place where there is a threat, so therefore, the ability to move, the ability to deploy, even if you don't deploy to Afghanistan, you deploy to Estonia, it's still a quite, so therefore, the, the assumption that usable forces, deployable forces, sustainable forces, be they deployed in the, in the, in the eastern or western edge of the transatlantic alliance, or be they in Afghanistan, doesn't change. So we need to have forces which can move rapidly, we can be sustained, which can be usable, which can be interoperable. And then we have, we have to invest much more in situational awareness, in intelligence, and certainly also some kind of asset like precision munition. The reason why we are the reason why we are engaged, for example, in the Joint Strike Fighter project is exactly because we believe that is a capacity which belongs to the future. That will maybe less number, but much bigger capacity, which allow us to be linked to. To the, to the front edge of that capacity with the United States and with our member. And that's, uh, that's what I think uh, uh, should be the shifting. Shifting fundamentally from still too much static posture in Europe to more usable deployable posture.
Thank you, Marisa Lino from Northrop Grumman. I wonder, I'll ask the obvious question, what your thinking is on Syria, the situation with uh, Turkey, considering um, uh, Article 4, et cetera. Thank you. Well, I think that if Syria is a, is a serious problem. We have said clearly that uh, we believe that what's going on in Syria uh, is very much worrisome. We strongly believe uh, that uh, Bashar Assad has to eventually to leave. But we believe that now we have to give a, a chance, a strong chance to the to the Security Council resolution to to move forward and to be implemented. In doing that, we have to do it applying political and also economic pressure on the Syria regime, and that's what is going on. So we have, we don't have to think that necessarily because what we did in Libya can be repeated in Syria. Each case is, each case is different. Each case can have its own formula. I don't know which eventually will be the winning formula in Syria. For the time being, I think we need to give the Security Council resolution opportunity to work, and therefore strongly standing behind this. We, and, and also, on, on a, in a case like Syria, I think uh, having Russia along is an important issue, and, uh, because Russia has a strong leverage on, uh, on Syria. Therefore, having Russia along, therefore having a more realistic approach to what can be done I think uh, would be probably the, the the best way forward. Then, if the situation will uh, will not develop in the sense we hope, then uh, what what will be? I cannot say at, pre at present stage. Certainly, I would not uh, say that there is a mathematical formula. Sometimes they they use the question, "Why you is Libya yes and Syria no?" I don't think this is a sensible question. The sensible question is that. What can we do? How can we approach the Syrian crisis? Each crisis needs to be dealt in, in, in its own merit, and there is not one single formula. And uh, Syria, we know, is quite different case uh, than, than Libya, not only because there is not a resolution the way we had it, at least now, for the way we had it for, for, for Libya, we don't have the same case in Syria. So now I propose that what we have to do to apply pressure, continue to pretend that the resolution which has been approved by the Security Council and also with agreement of, uh, of Syria is being respected and then eventually create a situation by which internally there will be some change. Um, turning to another um, another edge here say would be um, uh, for Iran and how, how are the relations if there are serious relations or not um, and how, how are you planning to uh, to both deal with NATO and you know we know the importance of it there and so anyway that that's the sort of basic thing that I'd like to uh, get some some movement on that Well, Iran, I think there is a, a process which is ongoing within the, the five plus one uh, engagement with, the, with Iran. There is a sanction, a heavy sanction, which uh, Italy fully has been part of them. Actually, is uh, probably suffering the, the price of this sanction more than others. Still, we fully committed to them because also in the case of Iran, I think uh, we, we have to, to give the possibility of this 
applying the sanction, political pressure, political unity, and at the same time allowing the, the five plus one process to work through. And uh, I, if I listen to the, the most recent development, there might be some uh, more positive movement or at least less negative movement. We will see. So that is, we want to be part, uh, we are part of the effort of the international community. There is no, uh, we cannot, and nobody should singularize himself from the overall effort which sanction political unity and uh, the, 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 the dialogue five plus one and to see how to develop from, from there. So that is the situation. I don't think we have to give I think the sanctions are working, are starting to work. They will start to bite even further in the future. So possibly this might be, the effect of this might be the more apparently more open stand by Iran shown recently. Now if this open stand will develop in a more positive in a deal, I don't know, but certainly it might be an indication that the sanctions are working, that the unity is working. And the unit include, uh, of course, the five plus one, and we have to stand behind this and not to rush up to some different option at this stage. Alex, do you have an envelope there to clean, and then we'll move over to Steve. So, Colonel Stephen Paget, um, I'm the representative of Supreme Allied Commander Transformation to the uh, Joint Staff in the Pentagon. Um, do you think that the Alliance is doing enough, given the challenges of uncertainty about what to do post-14 and what to do in the uh, era you described, um, do you think it's doing enough to assess those things which it's the Alliance's duty to protect, the security interests of its populations and territories, broader than just the uh, Article 5 sort of territorial defense, but to think about in a global world, where are the security interests? What are they? What sort of threats may manifest themselves? And then from that start point, work out better what we need and how we should do it. Well, I think, I think we, we, we are doing this. We start doing it. If we're doing, uh, if we do enough, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I would even uh, be uh, doubtful that we're doing enough. Because in the end, to be, to be, to, to do enough, to give enough thinking to what needs to be done, need to recognize what the alliance want to be, as I said, in the post-2014 environment. If we start from the assumption, which I believe is the right assumption, that we live in a global security environment, and therefore to protect, to protect our people, our interests, is to recognize that we are a security organization in a global security environment. If we accept this, then we start to, uh, to do the thinking. I still see a lot of or enough desire to retrench because that is the easy option. Oh, let's retrench, let's go to the basic. It's, it's very nice to say, let's go to the basic, but if the basic, if the basic mean uh, uh, to be in a Bastiani fortress, I don't know if you know, uh, the desert of Tartars, that if that mean going to the basic, I doubtful that that would be good for the lines. Uh, thank you, Mr. Minister. I'm uh, William Schneider of uh, Defense Science Board, and uh, be, would be interested in your observations, about, uh, given your remarks about smart defense, how you think Europe's uh, defense industry uh, might most constructively evolve in this environment of an extraordinary public finance crisis. 
Well, I think the, uh, w we have to start from the recognition that European industrial base is very much fragmented. And therefore, but at the same time, this fragmentation do represent the interest of the nation. So we have to move forward with the less fragmented, but this cannot be done just by one or two imposing their, 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 their dominance on the other, because that would immediately, immediately cause reaction from the other. Because uh, industry means interest, means money, means uh, employment, means technology, and uh, unless and until we don't move to more really politically integrated Europe, you cannot, uh, you need to respect the fact that each, uh, each nation is looking also to use the industrial base. So I think we have to move progressively, uh, facilitating uh, uh, merging, facilitating working together, facilitating joint venture, but still be, be understanding and be respectful of the fact that it's not, uh, cannot be just one catch and all at the same time uh, as an easy way forward. And then the industry should be supportive of what are the top-down approach of looking to the requirement that the, uh, that, uh, the nation uh, need. So I do believe that we need, first of all, the European look at really seriously to what they have to put their money on. And the priority of Europe are not anything different by, from the priority of NATO. There is not such a thing as, a, I mean, I honestly, I don't see something different as a, uh, Italy has no priority in Europe different from what they have in NATO. So I think the NATO defense planning should be the basis also for European, the fundamental for European planning. And that's what we have to do, put the money in the right priority, which is the one that will come forward with a forward-looking, outward-looking uh, defense planning. And then the industry, European industry should uh, support this process coming together, but being respectful of the fact that today we are still a diversified, a fragmented market in Europe on this, and therefore this must be a progressive process and not one catch-all approach. Hi, Mr. Minister, nice to see you. Uh, Mike Costi, recently retired from the Senate Armed Services Committee. I have a question on uh, the MEADS air defense system, uh, particularly in your discussion perhaps today with uh, the Secretary. There is still an ongoing debate in Washington uh, as to how this is going to proceed, and uh, the U.S. Congress has some opinions that are contrary, uh, what I understand, to that of the, uh, of the administration. And uh, Italy, Germany, and the United States are joint, uh, jointly involved in the construction and the project development of this. And I understand that uh, your government is not pleased with the directional trend that we see, but uh, could you elaborate a little bit on that and uh, where do you expect this will go in the course of the next number of months? Well, uh, the MIAS has been one of uh, the few really collaborative project among European and the uh, United States. We speak a lot about transatlantic cooperation. Then we had a project, which was the MIAD, which, by the way, was also responding to the need of uh, participating in the missile defense kind of, uh, of dimension. Uh, and therefore, we get engaged in this. The United States was part, an important part, but still was 50% of it. The other 50 was between Italy and Germany. That was really a transatlantic cooperation uh, engagement. We have invested money. Uh, which for European standard, for Italian standard, was very sizable money. And then eventually, uh, at a certain point, uh, you discover that uh, 
say you say we don't like anymore we pull out uh, you can you can imagine that this is not the way we would uh, we would like a cooperation to to go forward sometimes i think the us should be more respectful also of the effort that the allies do when they get engaged in some serious forward looking new capacity because the MIAT is part or would be part of the missile defense approach and european contribution to missile defense having said that Clearly, United States is a sovereign country, the Congress is sovereign, and they can decide whatever they want. And it will not be my speech today that will change this fact. But I think there is a, would, be, would be honest. I can even understand that from a Washington point of view, U.S. point of view, you have so many systems, and in the end, for you, the MIAD is one of, a, one of the many. So in the end, uh, you, well, if this is the case, if this is your choice, then you have at least to respect the engagement that we have taken together, the money we put on them, go to the end of a conceptual phase, end of approval concept phase, which at that point you will be free also from a tactical point of view. We, the, the European partner, can eventually decide if they can go forward. But if we terminate now, you would lift two allies, which have invested heavily on this, really with the with a hand in front, a hand in the back. I don't think this is fair. Thank you. Sure. Mr. I'm Tony Capazio with Bloomberg News. I want to follow up on that. The question is, Congress does not want the Pentagon to spend $800 million on a program that the Italians and Germans are not going to field. There's $400 million in play right now with the fiscal 13 bill. Are you saying that Italy and Germany will not allow the United States to withdraw that financial commitment at this point? What I'm saying is that there is a, a commitment which has been taken by the three sides together, and each one of the sides should respect the commitment. There is a, there is a commitment here, and each side can take his decision. So it's not a matter of we, we are not... We are not uh, Pretending, we are asking the U.S. to respect his commitment as we respect ours. Then, if we feel that we will feel not, this is another part of the story. We want to be in a position eventually to continue, even if the U.S. don't want to fill the system. We are asking the U.S. to do his part of the deal. The deal is a deal. It's a deal for you. It's a deal for me. Hi, uh, Georgiana Kavnish with the State Department. Um, I have a question about post-2014 um, Afghanistan. Do you think there will be greater transatlantic security collaboration, or do you think it will remain as it is now, or will it decrease? What do you think it will look like on both sides of the Atlantic? Well, I think that, I hope, because I think, I don't know, I cannot speak. I hope there will be more security cooperation because in the end we'll be understanding that in the new security environment there is more need to work together. Even even, even if, if the U.S., globally speaking, will pivot to Asia, the fact of the matter rests that the European partner, which are the NATO partners, still are your strongest partner and ally, so I think it is in the interest of the United States to continue to cultivate this, to nurture this relationship, which, of course, if this relationship, and now we're talking from the European side, look just inside to his belly, that eventually will facilitate even the U.S. looking more, even more, not only pivoting, but also more than pivoting, just shifting, which is a different story. So I think, and the, 
The other relevant dimension of the strategic concept was partnership. Partnership is not just being partner, or it's not just a way to have a lie that will provide us troops for Afghanistan. Partnership concept, in the in, which is in the strategic competence, is much more than that. It's the recognition that in the security, in a global security environment, you need to establish a network of relationship with the partner which go beyond the traditional one, which will allow you, one, to, to build a network of relationship which eventually might prevent certain crises to happen. And secondly, if these crises happen, that network of relationship will facilitate you, your action in the, in, the, in the crisis management. If you have a relationship with a country which today are not part of this, uh, uh, of this relationship, uh, for example, if you, if you succeed in establishing a more solid relationship with the, with the country of the Arab Spring, you think that if something happened, will be will be easier or more difficult? First of all, I suppose will not also facilitate to prevent something bad to happen, but also to facilitate the action if action need to be taken. And if you look to the Libya, which has been a very easy case, still even that easy case has been taking place because there were three or four other countries who decided to say yes, and were engaged with us. So partnership really matter, but partnership must be a long uh, standing effort since before the crisis erupt. So therefore, global partnership, global networking is the right approach. And that will be meaningful to the United States, will be meaningful to us, will be meaningful to the alliance, will be allow the alliance to retain a significant security role in a globalized security environment. Well, Mr. Minister, speaking of partners, I can't think of a better partner. Secretary Panetta is very lucky to have you as his counterpart, and we thank uh, the Italian government for their strong partnership. Thank you for helping us better understand the road to Chicago uh, and for your candid insights and comments. I thank the audience. You asked some very tough and very important questions. And now please join me in thanking the minister for his contribution. <laughs>